Hello, you're listening to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Before we get too far into our episode today, we want to talk about something that happened recently that affected, obviously, everyone in the United States, but but specifically the Amtec community. Um, Elena Housley, who was 18 years old and was a freshman at Pepperdine University, was killed on November 7th, 2018, in the shooting at Thousand Oaks, California. And we wanted to acknowledge this on the episode. Uh, and we know this is a little more serious maybe than what we usually talk about, but we thought it was really important to acknowledge that this happened and, and the impact that it has on our community. So uh, I want to read just a little bit from the letter that AMTA President Will Warahay, uh sent to the community just recently. Uh, Will wrote that Elena, 18, was a first-year English major from Napa, California, who was recently thrilled to join the mock trial team at Pepperdine. Elena's passing is an incalculable loss for the mock trial community, and our deepest condolences go out to her family and those in the Pepperdine University mock trial program. To lose such a talented person at such a young age is a tragedy. We ask that our community join us in keeping Elena's family, friends, and loved ones in their thoughts during this incredibly difficult time. He went on to write that Elena's family has asked that in lieu of flowers, that donations be made to Elena's voice, which is a foundation to continue to keep Elena's voice alive to better our world. And you can find that website at Elena's voice. That's A-L-A-I-N-A-S voice.org. Um, there's more information about um, Elena there and, and who she was as a person. And Drew, you know, there's, there's no real easy way to get into a topic like this, but you know, you and I talked about this a little bit, you know, before we came on and, and I feel like, you know, it's so hard to dig into a topic like this, but our community is based on, you know, some foundation of, of justice and of caring for one another. And it's so hard to feel that when, you know, when something like this happens and as a coach, I think about my freshman, I'm sitting here you know, in a hotel room about to go to Rutgers with a team of mostly freshmen. And I think about, you know, just how devastating this must be for, you know, Elena's friends and family. And I just, for the AMTA community at large, it's, it's just hard to even wrap your mind around. No, it, it really is an awful tragedy. And it's sad in so many ways. Um, it obviously hits a little more home being someone in a mock trial program as, you know, this really is something that affects everyone. And again, I also just want to express my own condolences to Elena, Elena's family, to the Pepperdine mock trial team, and to um, everyone in the community that lost people. It, I think that one of the reasons that makes it so difficult is because of the contentious nature that comes from tragedies like this when they have to do with guns. And, you know, as you said, Ben, we're a group of advocates. That's, at the end of the day, what we're all doing. And um, it's really hard because things like this happen, and it's it's just frustrating because you feel – I know I've felt so powerless 
from the perspective of I, I want to go and argue with someone and, and explain to them why I think that we should change the way we, we view guns and the way that we we treat them in America. But it's really, really, it's hard because it's it's someone's life that's lost and it's it's their family and the rest of their community's lives that are forever changed. And it just keeps happening and nothing changes. And it is just so infuriating and so it just, it, it makes you feel at a loss and it makes you feel really powerless at times. And it's just really, really awful. And yeah, I, I don't know. It, I think you, you hit the nail right on the head when you talk about feeling powerless, right? That like you as the leader of your organization and me as, as having the genuine privilege of, you know, being able to coach the students that I do, right? You, you know, these are the things and these, are, you know, like I don't have children, right? But these are the things that keep me up at night, you know, like the notion that one of my kids could get hurt. You know, they, they drive me crazy sometimes, but I love them. And there are so many coaches out there that I know feel that way and students that feel that way about their peers. And, you know, we... <sighs> There's no easy way to get into this without someone accusing you of getting political, but we as a country have, it seems sometimes like we've accepted that part of the risk of going to school is getting killed. And that's crazy. It's insane. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to shift the focus from, you know, Elena's life. And, and obviously like you and I, right, we, we don't, we didn't know her and, and, and we just certainly don't claim otherwise, but it's so hard to sit and feel like, you know, like you're honoring someone's life and something that was ripped away so, you know, young and so senselessly when it feels like we have given up, like, like you were saying. And I just look, I mean, I've, I've ranted about it before on here, but I think the AMTA community is at its best when we are working together. And yes, it is at its core, a competitive activity, right? But I guess when I think about this and how maybe it can impact the AMTA community, I think about, you know, how we can show kindness to each other, even in the midst of intense competition and just remembering that maybe that person across the table from you is going through something and they may be your opponent but they're also your peer and you don't know what's going on in their life. And you don't know if, you know, I mean, given the reality of this world, you don't know if they'll be there tomorrow. And I just, this is such a senseless and horrible tragedy. And I hope that for the AMTA community, in order to honor Elena's life, that, you know, we can use this as a moment for us to, to rally together as a, as an entity, as an organization. Yeah, and Ben, something that you mentioned that I I wanted to to jump off of is is the con- you know we obviously again didn't know Elena, but we had something in common with her, and that's a genuine love of this activity. And I think that to your point about this being you know we we're all competitors, we're competing against each other. We have this thing in common that 
really ties us pretty closely. There aren't a lot of other people that you're going to run into that are as passionate about the law than a fellow mock trial student. Um, and it's, it's really cool because um, as I go to tournaments and I start making more friends with people, we do have this really cool thing in common. And I do think that it's something that really ties us together. And, and it, it is a sense of community just within the mock trial world. And obviously, again, to, to lose a member of that community is always difficult. But I think that we should always keep that in mind, that we are all, you know, we all do have this, this thing in common and we're all working towards the same goal. Whether you disagree with someone in round, whether you're, you you disagree with how they use their case theory, how they did a certain witness, at the end of the day, we're all college students doing this because we genuinely enjoy it. And it's pretty special to me that we have as many people participating in it across the country um, because it is such a genuine pleasure to do mock trial and to get to do it with such other you know, passionate students. And to lose one of our own is, is always difficult for sure. And I, yeah, it's, it's something that I think, it's something that I think every team should be aware of and thinking about um, when they're going into rounds as, you know, these are, these are our peers and we should look out for each other. And when things like this happen, it, as you said, it's a time to come together and to hopefully make change if we can. And so we, as as the mock review, we strongly encourage people, um, as I mentioned in the letter, as Will mentioned in his letter, that Elena's family has asked, you know, in lieu of any flowers or anything like that, that donations be made to, you know, the, the foundation that they've set up, Elena's Voice, which you can find more on, on that website um, that we mentioned earlier. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, money is, is it can't make the ultimate difference, but I would just really encourage everyone in the AMTA community and the people who, you know, who listen to this podcast to see if there's a way that maybe they can find a, you know, a way. Cause the, the letter also mentions that, um, that if anyone from the AMTA community donates, the latest father asks that the donors uh, send him an email and the email is in Will's letter, um, to let him know about their gift. And, and I obviously don't know the, the reasoning behind that, but I think my conjecture would be that, you know, letting these, that her family know that this community is behind them and that, you know, this is such an opportunity to show in the midst of just an unfathomable tragedy that we are behind, like you said, one of our own. So we're going to do a normal episode today. We've got some other things that we want to talk about. And so we're going to take a quick break and, um, you know, we'll come back and talk about those other things. And there's, you know, when, when these types of tragedies happen, there's never an easy way to transition into talking about other things. But we just felt it was really important to take a few moments to reflect and to appreciate uh, Elena's life and her impact on the AMTA community and, and what we mean, you know, as a community as a whole. So as we've both mentioned, our our hearts go out to her family, to her friends, to her loved ones, to the Pepperdine mock trial community. And, you know, we remember Elena Housley.
Welcome back to the Mock Review. Now, Drew, getting into some of the more uh, recent invitational results, uh, UMBC had the pleasure uh, just recently, just last weekend, of uh, attending Haverford's excellent uh, Black Squirrel Invitational hosted in uh, downtown Philadelphia at the future site of the 2019 National Championship Tournament. We had a fantastic time at what was a wonderfully run tournament, and you know we're very glad we got to attend. And so now that you've survived uh, hosting a tournament, um, you know how are you feeling? I am feeling like a large weight has lifted off my shoulders. I appreciate you saying that you felt it was well run, as as being one of the people that was running around making sure that judges were in the right rooms, that rounds were starting on time. I can tell you that it did not always feel well run on our end but I'm glad that you had that perception um I think that it was it's a lot of fun I love running tournaments I think that it's it's fun to be able to give back in that way uh, it was also a lot of fun to have a lot of big name teams coming um, a lot of people that I knew and was able to you know make uh, just reacquaint with um, whether it's seen them from nationals last year from orcs wherever um, it was a lot of teams that I'm very well familiar with and it was nice to be able to see a lot of them again um, but as far as the actual running of the tournament, had a good time. I think that we ran into our fair share of issues, but I'm I'm really glad that it happened early on as it did, um, particularly because this is going to be a site that is going to be used again this year at Nationals, and I'm excited to be able to meet with Grant Keener and chat with him about what went well and what didn't, um, with the hopes that it you know can run even better come Nationals season. Um, I think that the the joke going around is the fact that we had 30-some teams there and one line for security and one working elevator. Um, obviously, those things could be improved, and we didn't know that was going to be the situation going into it. We showed up that morning, and they said, this is the deal, and we said, well, okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> um, I definitely think probably letting the courthouse know, hey, you know, we should probably open the other side of security, and it would be great if we could get a second elevator operator. Things like that may be very beneficial and will hopefully make things run a little more smoothly uh, next time around. Um, so I'm looking forward to hopefully Black, uh, Black Squirrel continuing to be there in the future and definitely looking forward to Nationals this year um, at what was, in my opinion, a really fun site. Um, as far as the, the specific field and the, the turnout there, um, I, I think that this was the first tournament that had over 50% of the teams being returning from nationals. Um, so definitely a very, very competitive field. And, and Ben, you should be very pleased with how UMBC did, um, being the overall number two team going into the second day and playing our tournament champions, UVA. Um, definitely a really strong showing from you guys. Um, UVAA, uh, obviously, they got first. Um, they went a very, very impressive record at seven and one, or seven and a half. Um, and I think that it, it's, it's interesting because we're at this this kind of flux point for a lot of teams where teams are starting to be stacked. Some of them are split stacked. Some of them are still completely unstacked. Um, I do know that that UVA team was a completely stacked UVA team. And um, I think that UVA is always a team to be reckoned with for sure. But I think that it showed. I mean, they when you have a team that is almost all your returning nationals team that got second place in your division it's to be expected that you're going to do pretty well um, when you're going to an invitational this early on. So not a huge surprise there, but definitely um, 
looking good from UVA's end. And then um, the other team that I was definitely impressed by was NYU B. Um, NYU's B team at that tournament, to my understanding, was a split stacked team where it's, you know, their A and B teams are pretty much equally stacked. And then they have a C team that's not stacked at the same level. Um, but that, that B team was definitely a very, very strong team. Um, Claudine Isaac, um, to my understanding, was leading the council table there and did a tremendous job. Um, I honestly wish I could have been in that, that final round um, between them and UVA. I think it was definitely a very fun round, and the scores reflect as, as such. Um, but yeah, I think that it's, it was a lot of fun to be a part of. Definitely some very interesting turnouts. Um, but I don't want to spend the whole time talking about Black Squirrel. There have definitely been other tournaments that have had some pretty interesting results. Um, since our last conversation, you know, we now had Toro go through, um, which, interestingly enough, uh, this team from Maryland uh, actually won that tournament. I don't know if you've heard of this, Ben, but um, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, um, yeah, uh, Ben's team actually ended up winning Toro, which, um, again, Ben, props to you guys. That's an amazing, amazing accomplishment. And, you know, Ben, the way I, I want to approach this, it was interesting to me, I mean, UMBC is a, a very strong program, but your first couple of tournaments were were good, not great. I mean, Cubate, uh, I think you guys went 1-6-1. and one. Uh, Colonial Classic was 5-6-1. and one. And then all of a sudden you get to Toro, and it's 7-1 and one winning the tournament. Uh, what, what do you think changed? I mean, that's, that's just a week. What, what happened? Well, <laughs> uh, good, not great is perhaps not how I would describe our Cubate uh, results. But uh, <laughs> um, just briefly, I mean, I think this time of year, right, so much of it is about like case confidence and it's about deciding how you're going to approach something and then really going full bore. And, you know, that, so it was the same team that went to Toro and that also was at Black Squirrel and, and had a decent showing there. And I think where we've improved is, like I said, case confidence first and foremost and just feeling more comfortable with the materials, but then also just, you know, building that team cohesion. And and we approach stacking a little bit differently than I think a lot of the programs do, and that I stack a lot. I think I stack a lot earlier than a lot of other programs do. But um, I I don't know. I don't know if I have a perfect answer, but I think we're very young this year. We lost a lot of seniors over the last couple of years, and I know that like you see that with a lot of these best you know the best programs where you know you go through a cycle where you're young. And you struggle for a little while, for maybe a couple months, and then the kids start to put it together. And I think in a lot of ways that's what's happening. Um, I, I do have to say, like, it's the second year in a row we've gotten to go down to Durham for Toro. And if there's a better run tournament in the country, I don't know what it is because that courthouse is immaculate. Everything runs about as on time as you can possibly expect it. The judging is stellar. Um, and I felt that way last year when we didn't do nearly as well, you know. It just like whatever they're putting in the water at Duke's tournament, like it's working because I, I, you know, I can't emphasize to you guys enough just how well run that tournament was. Um, but I also like going back basically to what you're saying about Black Squirrel. Uh, I definitely think that it's a good thing that like a few of the kinks are going to get ironed out before nationals. Um, and I, I wasn't in the round three UVA UMBC round, but I've watched all the footage now and um, it, <laughs> Sometimes I feel like we take for granted 
how just consistently stellar UVA is. But for them to be performing at the level they are in November is just remarkable, you know? And I know like that's close to a stack team and you got a ton of experience on that team, but they're just so good. And it's, you know, it's like, it's hard to even, you know, when you lose to them, it's hard to even be upset about it because they're, you just, you know, you're just not at that level. And, you know, I, I, I know that black squirrel, like some teams are split stacked and some teams are still totally fluid, but it does give us like, when you look at the top, you know, you look at the teams that, that placed there and it's like, you have UVA and NYU and Howard and Cornell and GW and Fordham and Yale, you know, and then, and then UMBC hanging in there at the end of that group, like there's a lot of big names there. And you wonder, like, I feel like a lot of those teams are going to be clashing come orcs time, you know, to fight for those, those, you know, few and far between bids that the Northeast is going to have. Yeah, no, for sure. I also, I wanted to also address, I think that we, we often focus a lot on the East coast tournaments. Um, just cause that's obviously what we're familiar with, but I also wanted to take an, a second to talk a little bit about, um, Cal Berkeley's tournament, um, average American mock trial imitational, um, I've always found these these West Coast Invitationals interesting because they're just there's so many teams from the same schools going. I think Cal Berkeley ran the tournament and had four teams still go, and they ended up taking first and second. So definitely a good showing out of Berkeley. Um, but it's just interesting. I think that you you see that it's very much so dominated by uh, there are a couple of these tournaments. That, there are a couple of these programs that just send many many teams, and uh, you see that there were. Strong showings also, you know, as to be expected from from Stanford. Um, I think that third place was Oregon. Oregon having a, a, one of the larger programs out there, but they only ended up sending one team. That team did very, very well. Um, I think that it's it's interesting to kind of get into these West Coast tournaments. Obviously, it's a little bit more speculative from just Ben and I. We're going to try to get some people from the West Coast um, to, to come out and chat with us a little bit, hear a little more about what's going on over there. Um, but definitely I think that the West Coast is having a lot of the usual suspects doing well. Um, Pomona had a, a strong team there. It looks like um, it looks like uh, Santa Barbara, who had a team at Nationals, had a fairly strong showing. Um, you know, a lot of the – nothing too outlandish to what I'm looking at. Um, I'm sure that as more tournaments happen out there, there's more uh, – as more tabs get published, we'll start seeing more and more trickle in and hopefully have more to talk about out there. Uh, the other one that I wanted to talk about is more of just a, a different tournament, and that's uh, Rhodes's scrimmage. Um, I don't think they even call it an invitational. And I just, I always, I, I mentioned it earlier when we had our conversation about invitationals, but I really, I have so much respect for Rhodes for doing what they do because this is, this is a, a, a tournament that this is from a program that could easily be putting on a, a massive invitational charging two, $300 a team being a really exclusive field. And instead they're charging $25. And to my understanding, opening it up to just about anyone who wants to come. Um, and then to top it all off, their teams do insanely well, have a 16 and 0 record between their two teams and they refuse to take any awards. I I just think that that's, you know, props to you, Rhodes. I really think that I have a lot of respect for for their program for doing that. Um, 
you know, not all programs have the resources to put on a tournament and not charge much for it. But the fact that they do and they're doing it, I think, is a really great service to the community and particularly to the Midwest, which may not have quite as many um, tournaments for people to be able to go to. You know, it's it's nice that they're doing that. So, I I completely agree. And I think it just sort of comports with the overall um you know, just sort of the overall impression that we all have of their program of being a program that's run extremely well, that obviously has been extraordinarily successful for decades at this point. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think <laughs> those who've been listening for multiple episodes, you know, know that I got on my soapbox a little bit about invitationals, but I think it's a good example of, you know, a program that understands that hosting an invitational or even an invitational scrimmage isn't all about, you know, the, the prestige and the field and, and, you know, obviously like, I don't know anything specific about Rhodes' program, but if they're not really charging much for their invitational, it probably means that they don't have to. And so I don't want to, I think I did a poor job when we first discussed invitationals of acknowledging those programs that, you know, basically fund their entire season through their invitational. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I really admire, um, you know, what Rhodes does and in, in really, opening it up to a broad field of teams that, you know, go to nationals versus teams that only compete once or twice a year. Um, we also, we had some interesting results at Tufts tournament. Um, you know, Tufts, uh, you know, hosts a, a great tournament every year. And, and we saw, you know, Rutgers win that tournament. And Rutgers is such an interesting team. Those, you know, we go back to the trial by combat preview episode, you know, we're both big fans of Mike Kleinman and what he does with Rutgers. But um, you had Rutgers and then you had, Cornell taking second and third and NYU taking fourth and fifth, right? And so you see these programs, I mean, Cornell and NYU, I think are kind of always there, but I think Rutgers is a potential dark horse, maybe contender this year. You know, I, it's hard to say this early in the season, but they're consistently at the top, you know, when they've got their best people going. And I think there's a, given the fact that a lot of programs do different things in terms of like split stacking this time of year, like we've said, it's hard to take too many, you know, hard to take too much from some of these results, but I feel like those are teams that we're going to be consistently seeing at the top for the rest of the season. Yeah, I really agree. Um, on the Rutgers note, I will say um, from what I know about their program, they're really, really nice, really great people. They have a ton of seniors right now that have been doing this together for a while now. Uh, my understanding is that their A-team at Nationals that we played was predominantly juniors. Um, it was this really large class that has just been, you know, killing it for a while now. And this is the year, you know, this is when you talk about, you know, build-up years where you just have this same group of people that have been going to Nationals, going to Nationals, and then it's their senior year, it's their time to shine. This is Rutgers' year. If they're going to have a year where they really make a run, it's when Mike is a senior, it's when the rest of those 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 kids are all in this that are all in the same class are all in their senior year. They've been doing it. This is the time. Um, and just to, to touch on NYU and, and uh, Cornell, which you mentioned. Yeah. I've been really impressed with the two of those programs. I, I think that it says a lot during the unstacked season when it's not necessarily the teams are, are winning every tournament they go to, but that they're just always right up there in the top. And I'm yet to see Cornell or NYU have a single team go to a tournament and not have not just a winning record, but being in the, in, you know, in the teams that are placing or right next to it. Uh, it's, it's really impressive. I mean, 
a lot of these tournaments we're talking about are competitive tournaments with a lot of really good teams. And whether those teams are unstacked or not, when you send two teams there and those teams get second and third or fourth and fifth, it says a lot about where your program's going that year. And I have no desire to play NYU, Cornell, or Rutgers for that matter, any near uh, upcoming tournament. Yeah, it, it's funny you say that because you drag my team to Philadelphia and then you give us two rounds against Cornell. Um, <laughs> and they were both, I, I, I say that with, you know, great affection because we, we enjoy playing Cornell and I, I, you know, we had two really great rounds of Black Squirrel against Cornell, but like it, I didn't get to sit and sit back and relax for any of those rounds because we had, you know, I had to sit there and sweat it out while we're hitting, you know, like sort of split stacked, but still just really, really good Cornell teams. And I, I would much rather have that than have, you know, bad rounds, but I totally agree that when you, when you're not fully stacked and your teams are still just always sitting there at the top of the bracket, I mean, that's just so hard to build. And I have so much respect for programs that are able to do that, you know, consistently over and over again. No, for sure. And it's, it's something that's definitely a aspiration. We can all definitely try to be working towards. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the teams that have been really successful this year. And, and as Drew mentioned, we're continuing to work on, um, you know, guests to give us more of a broad nationwide perspective because we understand, I mean, our schools are like 150 miles away from each other. And so we have a little bit of a limited geographic range, but we've got some interesting feedback, some, some uh, iTunes comments and some uh, various, you know, feedback from different sources about broadening our horizons a little bit and talking about sort of the 70% ish of teams across the country that compete, you know, at regionals and don't advance to orcs every year. Cause there's such a massive, you know, contingent. We all focus understandably on some of those, like, you know, the top teams, right. The nationals teams, but for the overwhelming majority of mock trial AMTA participants, that's not their experience. And so drew, I'm interested in, engaging a little bit on that topic we both belong to programs that not that long ago weren't programs that were going to orcs on a regular basis and just you know your thoughts on what it's like to be in that place and you know how what steps that you personally and that your program took to maybe move from being a team that's always hoping to get through to a team that now you know is consistently you know getting through and, and advancing past regionals into orcs yeah, I think that I have a very interesting perspective on this because Haverford, in my first year um, as a as a competitor, it was our second year as a program. Um, we went to regionals and we we did very well. We ended up at a five and three record and got an open bid to Orcs, and it was interesting because I remember going into that tournament we we hadn't had any expectations of, oh, we're definitely going to make it to Oryx, so we're definitely not going to. I think we were kind of just going and seeing how it went. And I remember after the first day, we went three and one, and we're like, whoa, like, we could we could make it out of here. Like, that's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, and then we actually faced, wouldn't you know it, Cornell, and they blew us out of the water. Um, and we went into round four, took two, um, and ended up with five wins. And we're like, all right, cool. And I think that after that, we, we made it to Oryx, you know, had our year at Oryx, did, did not make it out by a long shot. Um, 
But coming in next year, we then kind of had this expectation of, oh, well, we're going to make it out of regionals this year. Of course, this is the exact same. This is basically the exact same team as last year. That They're going to be fine. We're going we're gonna, to we'll send another team to Orcs for sure. We're more thinking, about, will our second team make it? And then all of a sudden, we don't make it. And the way that we didn't make it was a, a pretty unfortunate one. But essentially, uh, our A team went 4-0 the first day, um, feeling good about ourselves, um, the second day we played Georgetown, we tied one and lost one. And then in our four and a half, uh, wins round that should be power protected, we come across NYUA and they were really, really good and had no business being a three and three team. And they took two off us and they made it and we didn't. And it was really tough because we felt like we'd gotten screwed we couldn't believe that we'd had to face NYU in that round. And the thing that I, it, it made me realize about the way regionals works is that when you're a middle tier team, now there obviously are top tier teams that they're expected to basically win every round they're at at regionals. But if you're a middle tier team that's struggling to make it out, you're constantly at three wins, four wins, you can kind of look at regionals as being somewhat of a formula as what to expect. And that formula is, you're going to probably play two teams that you're about as good as, as, if not better than. Then you're going to play one team that is much better than you. And when I say much better than you, not like an insurmountably better than you necessarily, but they are the better team. And then you're going to play one team that's like right there with you. They're probably just about even, maybe a little better, but like they're, it's really close. And the point of what I'm saying is that when you play those two teams that you are better than, you need to take four ballots. Hands down, you need to take all of those. And then you need to do one more thing. You need to either sweep that team that you're just about as good as, or you need to find a way to take a ballot off that team that's better than you. And I don't want teams to look at this and be like, oh, like, can't believe you're saying that someone's better than me. Let's be real here. Like, if I'm playing UVA in a round or Yale, I don't think that I'm better than them. Like, I need to do something to beat this team that is objectively better than me. And the thing that I've learned is that when you're playing a team that is just going to beat you on presentation skills, on the raw, their just actual mock trial ability, you have to do something different. You have to have a, a, a weird call. You have to have a weird theme. Something that can catch that team a little bit off guard to give you that edge where your maybe not quite as strong presentation skills can overcome them and they can be the team that's a little bit rattled and you can then end up looking more confident and present better than them in the end. The alternative to that is that when you're playing a team that you're better than, you need to keep it simple. You need to just be better than them. Don't take risks, just present better and not allow yourself to, to drop a random ballot to some random team that you should be taking two off of. Um, and it's, it's hard because judges are random and, you know, sometimes something happens and you're like, how, how could they possibly think this? But at the end of the day, you have to deal with just the, the numbers game. If you're a team that goes to enough invitationals, you should be able to play test what is a reliable case theory, what you know is going to be strong, what isn't going to be controversial with judges. And that's what you should be running when you're playing a team that you know you can beat. And it's not that you necessarily have to have two completely different case theories, but, you know, be, be a little bit versatile about like, okay, you know, like if I'm playing 
this ridiculous team, there are these couple of things that we can try that maybe not every judge is going to love it, but we can try it and maybe a judge eats it up and we end up taking a ballot off this really phenomenal team. And look, I'm not saying that you should do this and, you know, it's going to work every time. I'm also not saying you should try some crazy invention and get reported and then say, Drew told me to. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you know that you're not going to beat them on presentation, try something different. And if you know you can beat them on presentation, do what is consistent. And I think that if you follow that formula, you're going to find yourself able to get out of regionals. Um, and at the end of the day, if sometimes you just get really unlucky and you face NYU in a power-protected round, that sucks. But you got to do what you can do and come back next year and hopefully get a better draw. That's all you can do. So I think all of that is is good perspective. And I think what it what it puts into view is just how like and I remember this really clearly, right? As a team that hasn't broken through. Like how daunting it can feel, right? When you walk into a captain's meeting and you've been working really hard and you still feel like an imposter. Right? Like people, you know, People have commented about how, you know, we talk about a lot of these great programs, but you have to like make mistakes in order to figure out how to stop making mistakes, you know, and there's so much involved in that. I think back, so back in 2011, when, you know, UMBC was just, I mean, we were in our first season and we, we were just kind of clueless about what was going on around us. And we didn't understand some really basic things. And we made a lot of really dumb mistakes. And we wouldn't be where we are now without that process. And look, there's no substitute for just outworking your opponent, you know, for just like taking the time when it's one in the morning and you finished your paper and you really want to go to sleep but sitting down for a half hour, 45 minutes or an hour or whatever, and, and rereading the case or editing that one cross or, you know, practicing memorizing some case law, like that stuff that the best advocates and the best team spend so much time and so much energy on. But you're definitely right that regionals in some ways can come down to a bit of a numbers game and you have that random first round where maybe you get lucky and you get like a fairly favorable round one draw and it puts you in a good spot you know i mean maybe the first year that we made it through we we walked the perfect golden staircase right we got a winnable first round we won it by a comfortable margin we then got destroyed by howard um and that put us you basically 500 with I think a slightly negative point differential and then rounds three and four you know round three because of that we drew a pretty winnable round and then round four we were four and two and so power matched we drew another winnable round and we got through at six and two and sometimes you just got to find that right you got to find that staircase that allows you to get through and and not have your you know not deal with a cs of 21 or 23 or some you know something like that but I think when it gets down to the guts of, okay, I'm a, you know, I belong to a team that has been trying to break through for a couple years and hasn't quite broken through. 
I think it comes down to, as cliche as it sounds, hard work, right? Running things over and over again in front of as many people as will listen to you for as long as they will listen to you so you can fix the little things and perfect your movements and your interactions and your jokes and stuff like that. And then just understanding the world around you, right? Not freaking out when you go to captains and someone has a weird demonstrative, right? And not being like, oh, they're so much smarter than us because they have this strange demonstrative. Just roll with it, let it slide and understand that most things sort of equal out in judges' minds anyways. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, polish and practice and confidence get the best teams further than everyone else. You know, UVA's formula, like they're, they don't hide it, you know, they're more polished and they're more practiced and they're more confident than the people that they play. And it's clear that they believe that that will get them where they want to be. And it usually does, you know? And so I think you start there and you grow from that and you recruit people who want to put in that work. You know, I'll take a kid who wants to put in the effort over a kid with natural ability who's lazy, you know, every single day of the week because, you know, I can teach mock trial, but I can't teach work ethic. And I think if you combine all of those things, you're going to have a much higher likelihood of your program being able to take that next step. Yeah, I actually, I really like what you said, Ben, about work ethic, because to me, I think that there's this false sense of impossibility of beating the top teams. And what I think is really cool about mock trial is that unlike athletic events, to be frank, I will never beat Usain Bolt in a race. Doesn't matter how much I train, it's just frankly impossible. And the the difference is that in mock trial, the more you work, the more confident you can get, you can continue to improve. And I know that there's there's this ceiling that I think a lot of people hit where they say, Oh, I've I've worked tirelessly my opening, my closing, my direct, my whatever it is, or if it's a witness, you know, whatever your material is, you say to yourself, I am as good as I can be. You are wrong. You are wrong. And sometimes it takes a coach. Sometimes it takes a friend, whoever giving you a piece of advice or something you can change. You can always be improving, whether it's projecting a little more, whether it's speaking a little slower there's just always room for improvement. And I think that when you're willing to put in the work, when, when in the off season, you're practicing with old mock trial cases, writing a new direct, practicing your objection battles, reading over the rules of evidence, like there are things for you to be doing. I, I remember when we talked to, to Michael Gelfand about the fact that, you know, some coaches have, have early access to the case and whether that matters. And he was explaining how he doesn't feel like it does and that teams have so much time with the case. He's really right because you have months and months of time to be with this case. And there is no excuse for a single fact to ever surprise you in mock trial. If it surprises you, it's probably an invention and you should know how to deal with that. But you should know the ins and outs of this case it is a hundred some odd pages. You should know each page and have it basically memorized. If you're not at that point yet, there is more that you can be doing. I think that it's, I just, I know that I've, I've spoken with a lot of people 
from from various programs that say, oh, like, I'm never going to become as good as, as X Mocker. And I'm like, well, not with that attitude. You, you just have to be willing to put in the time. And I don't want to take away from, from individuals that, that there are people that just have amazing voices, that have phenomenal presence. And yes, some people are born with that. And you know what? Props to them. They are very fortunate. Most of them worked pretty hard, whether it's before they got to college or wherever it was, to get to that point. Um, I, I don't really think that people were born and just had amazing presentation skills. I think it's something that everyone has had to work at at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are people that don't have to work quite as hard to be phenomenal, but you can be working harder. If you're not where you want to be, then there is room for you to be working harder. And if no one is able to tell you what you should be doing differently, then talk to someone else. Like someone else will have a different perspective. If there's anything I've learned in mock trial, it's that everyone has their opinion and Unfortunately, there isn't always necessarily a right one, but the more different opinions you can get, hopefully you can figure out what works the most, the best, most of the time. Yeah, I think all of that is is good. And, and I think in the coming weeks and months, we're looking forward to talking to more people who belong to programs that maybe have made that next step more recently and can give even more insight on, on how that's going to work. Um I'm also looking forward, Drew. It sounds like, you know, you and I have been chatting. I think we're looking forward to having some good guests uh, pretty soon. Something having to do with uh, the uh, the regionals assignments coming out pretty soon, which I'm sure everyone is anxiously awaiting. Yes. So uh, Adam Detsky, who uh, graciously agreed to come on the podcast once the regional assignments come out, um, hopefully and sometime soon, it normally comes out around Thanksgiving, Um but he's one of the people that uh, runs the committee that decides where you're going and why. And um, I think that it'll be really fun to get to talk with him. I think that he's a really, really friendly guy who um, I think he will have a, a lot of explanations for people. And I think that I, I've been very impressed through my limited conversations with him of just how much work goes into these assignments. Um, I definitely remember when I used to look at them, I thought they were just made on a whim and I was always like, man, like, why is mine always the hardest? Like, I just feel like mine looks awful. And uh, I think he'll have a lot to say about it. I'm definitely excited to get to speak with him about it. So be on the lookout for that. Um, I also wanted to take this time talking about our next episode just to address. Um, I think that there's been a lot of talk about the frequency to which, which to with which Ben and I have been hosting um, podcast episodes. You know, keep in mind, people, you know, we're both very busy. We are running programs. We're trying to get these out as much as possible. Um, but you know, when we're on tournament weekends, we also need to prep teams for tournaments and I'm competing at them. Ben is coaching them. You know, we're, we have a lot of stuff going on and we're trying our best. Um, we also want to make sure we have good material for you guys, whether it's interesting guests or, you know, different things to be talking about. And, uh, I, we want to try to keep it as as interesting as possible for you guys. And sometimes that means waiting a couple of weeks for a podcast. It, it doesn't mean we're not here. Trust me, we are always thinking about mock trial. Sometimes it's just tough to put together a podcast every single week. Yeah. If, if anyone out there wants to volunteer to edit and master all the podcasts, they'll come out more frequently. <laughs> um, no, but it, I, I think all of that's right. First of all, I'm really looking forward to talking to Adam, you know, so we can both just 
complain to him about the Northeast uh, regionals, <laughs> but uh, uh, more importantly, to obviously just talk about the substance of the whole thing. And look, yeah, I mean, we, we love doing these podcasts. It's a labor of love for both of us, and we're really looking forward to breaking down the rest of the season and, and talking with some really fantastic people. Uh, and look, more than anything else, we genuinely appreciate the people who consistently listen and give us feedback. And, you know, AMTA is is a really awesome community. And I'm looking forward to uh, the culmination of this whole season and seeing how things go. It's crazy. I was just saying this to you the other day, Drew, right? Like crazy how fast the fall has gone. You know, I mean, after this weekend, I'm sitting here getting ready to go to Rutgers and then we all get the Thanksgiving weekend off. And then it's, you know, the insane first weekend in December with Gamte and Yale and so many other good tournaments, you know, uh, Penn State and, and several other really great tournaments. And then the fall's over and then we get to dig into case changes. And it's, I feel like the case came out yesterday. Yeah. It, especially for me, honestly, it does feel like the case came out recently and this is my senior year. And I'm like, this is my last chance to do mock trial. And it's definitely a, a fun and exciting time as I'm getting closer and closer to regionals, the the nerves are just coming. And I'm like, I don't want it to end. I want to go back to nationals, but uh, I think that we have winter break to, to stress about that. So I've got a little bit of time for sure. Right. Exactly. I keep talking about winter break as this like, Oh, we get to relax, but we all know that <laughs> we're just going to be sitting here stressing about Oop. regionals. <laughs> That's how these things work. But we're looking forward to being back in your podcast feed very soon with some interesting guests. We're looking forward to talking to Adam soon once those uh, um, regionals pairings drop. And, you know, if we don't talk to uh, everyone before the Thanksgiving holidays, we hope everyone has a wonderful and, you know, safe and happy Thanksgiving or whatever similar holiday that you and your family celebrate. And, you know, we're just very thankful for this community and, and all the energy that you know gets put into it especially now that both of our tournaments are in the past and we're able to look <laughs> forward to that so thanks everyone for listening and you know we will talk to you soon in the meantime this has been the mock review with ben and drew 